Chapter Sixteen of the Humbugs of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eddie Winter. The Humbugs of the World by P. T. Barnum. Spiritualist humbugs waking up. Foster heard from. S. B. Britton heard from. The Boston artists and their spiritual portraits. The Washington medium and his spiritual hands. The Davenport brothers and the sea captain's wheat flour. The Davenport brothers roughly shown up by John Bull. How a shingle stumped the spirits. Chapter 16 I hear from spiritualists sometimes. These gentry are much exercised in their minds by my letters about them, and some of them fly out at me very much as bumblebees do at one who stirs up their nest. For instance, I received not long ago from my good friends Messrs. Caldwell and Whitney an anonymous letter to them dated at Washington, and suggesting that if I would attend what the letter calls a seance of that celebrated humbug Foster, I should see something that I could not explain. Now this anonymous letter, as I know by a spiritual communication, or otherwise, is in a handwriting very wonderfully like that of Mr. Foster himself. And as for the substance of it, it is very likely that Foster has now gotten up some new tricks. He needs them. The exhibiting mediums must, of course, contrive new tricks, as fast as Dr. Von Fleck and men like him show up their old ones. It is the universal method of all sorts of impostors to adopt new means of fooling people when their old ones are exposed. And Mr. Foster shall have all the attention he wants if I ever find the leisure to bestow on him, though my time is fully occupied with worthier objects. I've also been complimented with a buzz and an attempt to sting from my old friend S.B. Britton the ex-universalist minister, the very surprisingly efficient man-friday of Andrew Jackson Davis in the production of the revelations of the said Davis, and also ghost-fancier in general, who has gently aired part of his vocabulary in a communication to the Banner of Light, with a heading, Exposed for Two Shillings. I can afford very well to expose friend Britain and his spiritualist humbugs for two shillings, the honester, the cheaper. It evidently vexes the spiritualists to have their ghosts put with the monkeys in the museum. They can't help it, though, and it is my deliberate opinion that the monkeys are much the most respectable. I have no wish to displease any honest person, but the more the spiritualists squirm and snarl and scold and call me names, the more they show that I am hurting them. Or does my friend Britton himself want an engagement at the museum? Will he produce some manifestations there and get that five hundred dollars? The money is ready. A valued friend of mine has furnished me a pleasant and true narrative of a fine spiritual humbug which took place in a respectable Massachusetts village not very long ago. I give the story in his own graphic words. 
two artists of boston tired of the atmosphere of their studios resolved themselves in joint session into spiritual mediums as a means of raising the wind or the devil and of getting a little fresh air in the rural districts one of them had learned mansfield's trick of answering communications and that of writing on the arms they had large handbills printed announcing that mr w howard the celebrated test medium would visit the town and would remain at the hotel during three days one of the artists preceded the other by a few hours engaged rooms and attended to sundry preliminaries mr howard donned a white choker put his hair behind his ears and mounted a pair of plain glass spectacles and such was his profoundly spiritual appearance on entering his apartments at the hotel that he had to lock the door and give his partner opportunity to explode and absolutely roll about on the floor with laughter well they rigged a clothes horse for a screen and to heighten the effect the assistant who was expert in portraiture covered this screen and indeed the walls of the room with scraggy outlines of the human countenance upon large sheets of paper these they said were executed by the draughtsman whose right hand when under spiritual influence uncontrollably jerked off these likenesses they added that the spirits had given information that before the mediums left town the people would recognize these pictures as likenesses of persons there deceased within twenty years or so price two dollars each they absolutely sold quite a large number of these portraits as they were from time to time recognized by surviving friends the operation of drawing portraits was also illustrated at certain hours admission fifty cents if not satisfactory the money returned other tricks of various kinds were performed with pleasure to all parties and profit to the performers the artists stood it as long as they could and then departed but there was every indication that the townspeople would have stood it until this day thus far my friend's curious and truthful account a little while ago there was exhibiting at washington a test medium whose name i would print were it not that i do not want to advertise him one of his most impressive feats was to call spiritual hands and other parts of the human frame to appear in the air a la davenport brothers a gentleman whose name i also know very well indeed but have particular reasons for not mentioning went one day to see this test medium along with a friend and asked to see a hand certainly the medium said and the room was darkened and the circle made round the table in the usual manner after about five minutes my friend who had contrived to place himself pretty near the medium saw sure enough a dim glimmering blue light in the air a foot or so before and above the head of the medium in a minute he could see dimly outlined in this blue light the form of a hand back towards him fingers together and no thumb why is no thumb visible asked my friend of the medium in a solemn manner the reason is said the medium still more solemnly that the spirits have not power enough to produce a whole hand and so they exhibit as much as they can and do they always show hands without thumbs yes here my friend with a sudden jump 
grabbed for the place where the wrist of the mysterious hand ought to be. Strange to relate, he caught it and held it stoutly too. A light was quickly had, when, still stranger, the spirit hand was clearly seen to be the fleshy paw of the medium, and a fat paw it was too. Mr. Medium took the matter with the coolness of a thorough rascal, and, lighting a cigar, Milly observed, "'Well, gentlemen, you needn't trouble yourselves to come here any more.' He also insisted on his usual fee of five dollars, until threatened with a prosecution for swindling. The secret of this worthy gentleman is simple and soon told. Holding one hand up in the air, he held up with the other, between the thumb and finger, a little pinch of phosphorus and bisulphide of carbon, which gave the blue light. If inconvenient to hold up the other hand, he had a reserve pinch of the blue light under that invisible thumb. It is a curious instance of the thorough credulity of genuine spiritualists that a believer in this wretched rogue, on being circumstantially told this whole story, not only steadily and firmly refused to credit it, and continued his faith in the fellow, but absolutely would not go to see the application of any other test. That's the sort of follower that is worth having. Another case was witnessed as follows, by the very same person on whose authority I give the spirit-hand story. He was present, also this time in Washington, as it happened, at an exhibition by a certain pair of spiritual brothers, since well known as the Davenport Brothers. These chaps, after the fashion of their kind, caused themselves to be tied up in a rope, an old sea captain tying them. This done, their shop, or cabinet, was shut upon them as usual, and the bangs, throwing of sticks, etc., through a window and the like took place. Well, this sly and inconvenient old sea-captain now slipped out of the hall a few minutes and came back with some wheat-flour. Having tied up the brothers again, he remarked, Now, gentlemen, please to take each your two hands full of wheat-flour. The brothers got mad and flatly refused. Then they called down and argued, saying it wouldn't make any difference and was of no use. Well, said the ancient mariner, if it won't make any difference, you can just as well do it, can't you? The audience, seeing the point, were so evidently pleased with the old sailor that the grumbling brothers, though with a very bad grace, took their fists full of flour and were shut up. There was not the least sign of a manifestation, no more than if the wheat flour had shot the brothers dead in their tracks. The audience were immensely delighted. The brothers, since that time, have learned to perform some tricks with flour in their fists, but only when tied by their own friends. Since these facts came to my knowledge, the Davenport brothers have suffered an unpleasant exposure in Liverpool in England, the details of which have been kindly forwarded to me by attentive friends there. The circumstances in question occurred on the evenings of Tuesday and Wednesday February the 14th and 15th, 1865. On the first of these evenings, a gentleman named Cummins, selected by the audience as one of the tying committee, tied one of the brothers, and a Mr. Hully, the other committee man, the other. But the brothers saw instantly that they could not wriggle out of these knots, 
they therefore refused to let the tying be finished saying that it was brutal although a surgeon present said it was not one tied brother was untied by ferguson the agent and then the brothers went to work and performed their various tricks without the supervision of any committee but amid a constant fire of derision laughter groans shouts and epithets from the audience on the next evening the audience insisted on having the same committee the brothers were very reluctant to allow it but had to do so after a long time ira davenport refused again however instantly to be tied as soon as he saw what knot mr cummins was going to use cummins however though ira scammed most industriously got him tied fast and then ira called to ferguson to cut the knot ferguson did so and cut ira's hand ira now showed the blood to the audience and the brothers with an immense pretence of indignation went off the stage cummins at once explained the audience became disgusted and enraged at the impudence of the imposture broke over the footlights knocked ferguson backwards into the cabinet and when the discomfited agent had scrambled out and run away smashed the thing fairly into kindling wood and carried it off all distributed into splinters and chips early next morning the terrified davenports ran away out of liverpool and a number of the audience were at last accounts intending to go to law to get back the money paid for an exhibition which they did not see the very thorough exposure of the davenports thus made it an additional proof if such were needed of the truth of what i have alleged about the impostures perpetrated by them and their mysterious brethren of the exhibiting salt once the spirits were stumped with a shingle a very proper yankee jawbone of an ass to rout such disembodied philistines one day a certain person was present where some tables were rambling about and other revelations taking place in the furniture business when he stepped boldly forth like a herald bearing defiance and cast down a common white pine shingle upon the floor there said he coolly if you can trot those tables about in that style do it with that shingle make it go about the room make it move an inch and lo and behold the shingle lay perfectly still End of chapter sixteen